the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. South Dakota or Utah. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the Let's go down, let's go down, come on down, come on brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me. speak to you about God's ways. The message title today is Prepare to Meet Your God. If we're going to prepare to meet our God, we're going to need to know what His ways are. And one of God's ways that I have traced throughout the Scripture is that He calls His people 
to intimacy with himself. He called Adam and Eve. He met with them every day. He walked in the cool of the garden with them. And for Adam and Eve to hear, prepare to meet thy God, it was not a fearsome thing. It was a wonderful thing. Their day's work was over. They had accomplished all that they desired for that day. And now it was time to prepare to meet their God. And they went joyfully like children going to meet their father. They saw his brilliant essence as he was coming into the garden to meet with them. And I'm sure they ran joyfully to meet him, exchanging greetings, exchanging intimacies. But then they chose to follow the way of Satan, the way of darkness, the serpent, the dragon. And their fellowship with God was no longer on such a wonderful level. Now it was a fearsome thing to go and prepare to meet with their God because they were driven out of their home. They were wanderers on the earth. Now we see throughout the history of the scriptures, something very interesting. But we need to know about it. And that is that as man moved away from God and became more and more embroiled in the darkness, some not even conscious of it, the cooling breath of Satan blowing over their lives, cooling them down to the divine, filling them with passion for things of wickedness and darkness, filling their hearts with the desire for the life of total luxury, not servanthood, but having servants, God would begin to rebuke them. And always his rebuke came as a gentle whisper calling them out of that place of wickedness, calling them to, to come back to himself. Why will you die, he said to Ezekiel, why will you die? Say that to the people. Why will you die? Return to me. First, it's gentleness, kindness, mercy, meant to bring us to repentance. Maybe you've experienced that. I know you have in your life. I have many times where God speaks gently. And if I respond draws me close. If I harden my heart and I don't respond as I need to, then he becomes more stern. He will send others. He will send a prophetic voice. He will send someone to me to rebuke me, to say things that need to be said to put my feet back on the right path. If I still am not responsive, 
to his voice. He will begin to send other judgments against men. Amos is a terrifying book if you've read it. In verse 6 of chapter 4, Amos 4, verse 6, I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, yet would not return to me. So the Lord began to reduce their supply of food. And as the food supply was reduced, he expected them to turn to him and cry out to him to be their provision. But they didn't respond to that kindness. He said, I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another none, and it dried up. He's saying, I began to affect what you could grow in your nation. One place would be washed out. A great flood. Another place, bitter drought. That's the stage we're at in America. The weather phenomena that we're seeing is a direct result of the hand of God as he begins to bring his judgment upon this nation, saying, will you turn? Will you repent? People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet the Lord said, you have not returned to me. He said, many times I struck your gardens and your vineyards. I struck them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your figs and olive trees, yet you've not returned to me. These are, these are things that God is directly in charge of. He will send the mildew. He'll send the locusts. If your nation gets a plague of mice or of locusts, you should tremble because it is the mighty hand of God saying, I'm calling you to myself and you're not responding, now either respond and begin to pray or I'm going to increase the problem. I listened to a national radio personality yesterday and he was asking the question, what will it take to fix America? I was astonished by his reply said it's going to take repentance and prayer. He said, I am a follower of Jesus. Now, this broadcast is not inclusive or exclusive of any other faith or religion, but I am a follower of Jesus, and I believe that prayer and repentance are the answers for the problems of America. I'm hearing something very different from many who call themselves prophets. In their visions and dreams, they seem to be seeing that a great awakening is coming to America with a great emphasis upon the supernatural, a great emphasis on praise and worship music, a great emphasis on 
the mighty power of God coming to revive and restore America. I think this this humble radio announcer, this humble radio personality, had a much better answer than the prophets of our day. His answer was, repent and pray. And he said, that's what I'm doing. I am on my face praying to Jesus and asking him to make a change in America. We are in the position we are today because of our sin, the sin of our nation, the sin of us as individuals. It is a sin problem. He says, I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, he's saying some of your cities are going to burn. Well, the cities didn't burn because of brimstone. They they burned because of wicked Antifa. They burned because of godless men and women who have no understanding, like wild beasts, only to be caught and destroyed. No moral value, no, no uprightness. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet you've not returned to me. Has Portland returned to Jesus? Has Seattle, Washington, and Oregon, California are utterly godless states? They've not repented. They've not returned to the Lord. Now, the final thing that begins to happen is most terrifying. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. This is Amos 4, verse 12. This is what I will do to you, America. And because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel, or O America. Prepare to meet your God. And that is what I would say to America today. Prepare to meet your God. You have not responded to the kindness I've shown you. You've not responded to the wonderful gifts of prosperity that I've given you. You have thought you did it yourself by your own wisdom and your own power. In Romans, the first chapter, he's very clear. You have worshipped the created things and not the creator. And so I have given you over to your vile lust. I have given you over to your sin. This is where we are in America, prepare to meet your God, O America. He who forms the mountains creates the wind and reveals his thoughts to man. He who turns dawn to darkness and treads the high places of the earth. The Lord God Almighty is his name. seek the face of the Lord God. And now he's going to speak specifically to the religious people of the day. 
chapter 5. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. That's not what I'm hearing from the prophetic voices of our day. I'm hearing from the prophetic voices, the prophets. I'm hearing we're about to enter into a time of great, wonderful revival where the fire of God is going to burn in power to restore America. coming to America. Yes, I believe it is. I was shown as a child. I'm not a prophet. I'm a pastor. I'm a a teacher. I'm an evangelist. But I saw very clearly in vision when I was nine or ten years of age full-blown revival and the building it was in. I saw the people But I want to tell you, it was not happy, happy, clap, clap time. It was not 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half of praise and worship music that is basically worldly sentimental sound without any context. That's not what I saw. I simply report to you today what I saw. I saw men and women down on their faces, weeping, screaming, shouting, crying out to God for mercy because they knew they were about to be destroyed if they didn't repent. It was not something that we would look upon and say, that's a beautiful thing. It was men torn in their, in their guilt, torn in their, in their hearts over their wickedness. The Christian, not, not the pagans, the Christian, the American church. That's what I saw. And then the Lord told me, this will not happen until the latter days of your life. Well, I'm 75 years old. It's time. I got my hair cut yesterday and my my friend who did my hair said, Ray, your hair is completely white. There's barely any dye in it. I said, thanks. I appreciate you knowing that. I'm at that time in my life when the Lord said revival was going to come. But some years ago, he showed me again a clear vision, not a dream, a vision of what revival would look like. He showed me the building it would be in. I know where it is. I know that's where I'll be when revival comes. But I want to tell you what I saw. I saw masses of people struggling to get to the front of the auditorium, laying on their faces. There were all in the front. There were kneeling benches. Places for people to die out to themselves. And there was loud wailing. It's a sound that I had not heard since I was a child. It was a loud wailing 
eating of the breast, of, of confession of sin, of turning from wickedness, of getting right with God, of opening the heart to God as, as a mighty deliverer. And as they cried out to God, it didn't happen quickly. It took some time. There were all night times. Many. As people cried out to God. Now this was not something you you wanted to see. This was this was horrific. I've never seen in real life such brokenness and such tears, such agony of soul. This was this was terrifying to watch. Now, do I believe that there is going to be a great revival at the end of time? Yes. Because the three angels' message is going to be proclaimed out of John or out of Revelation 14. And then also at the end of time people repent and get right with God. It's going to be a great solemnity. A great conflict. Yes, there will be singing and praise and honor to Jesus. But everything will be happening in this nation cause a person to tremble with fear for their very lives. And people will come earnestly seeking not praise and worship music. They're not going to come seeking praise and worship music. They're going to come seeking a holy God who can, who can forgive their sins, who can, who can change them, who can transform them into new creatures. And they're going to come for two things. They're going to come, first of all, to have their sins forgiven and to be made regenerate. That is to be restored. That is to have all sin removed from their hearts. They're going to come to repent and to pray, as this commentator suggested. Now, the second thing they're going to come for is to be totally sanctified. It may happen the next day. It may take a week. It may take a month. But it won't take the rest of their life where even the old man of sin is utterly destroyed in their heart. This is pure John Wesley teaching, and it's true. It's in the Scriptures. So the last day revival is going to look like people, men and women, boys and girls, sobbing, wailing at the top of their lungs, screaming. It's not going to be a pretty sight. It's going to be terrifying. Because when God comes, he's not going to come with gentle rebuke. He's going to come like a refiner's fire. 
listen to this in Amos, Amos, the fifth chapter. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. As though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? Pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious festivals. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. So when the Holy Spirit comes in great power, and he's coming soon, he's not going to be interested in you standing and singing for 45 minutes. He's going to be interested in you getting on your face before him, looking at the darkness of your sin and turning that the judgments of God would not fall upon you. You will be preparing to meet your God. And all seriousness and solemnity will be there in your heart and in your life because you know your very life is hanging in the balance. And you will cry out to God. justice roll on like a river. That is, stop stealing, stop lying, speak the truth. He wants justice. We serve a God of justice. And he wants righteousness like a never-failing stream. He wants men and women to do what is right, to obey the king, to walk in righteousness, to not give way to the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Turning aside from the wickedness of our culture, I can't, I can't begin to express to you the wickedness of our culture. From the football games and the gambling and the wild sex parties and pedophilia that go with it, the violence drunk, I can't begin to express to you the wickedness of our entertainment today or the wickedness of the man and woman searching after riches, dressing in ways that are utterly ungodly, dressing in ways that are before the holy God of heaven, dressing in ways that you say there's nothing important here. We're just good old people. No, I'll tell you what. I grew up among good old people. First in the West, in Wyoming, Colorado. Denver was my birthplace and then country people 
You can't fit in here. I'm going to tell you, when I was in the country people of western Pennsylvania, among the coal miners, I did many funerals as a young pastor. I never, ever saw a coal miner show up in anything but an ill-fitting suit and a starched white shirt and a tie. That's all he had. But he had polished his shoes or his boots, and he was dressed. He showed respect for the dead and the living God. In America today, we've become very laid back and very casual, which says we are a Sodom and Gomorrah culture, covering ourselves with these ugly tattoos. It is wickedness before God. It is not acceptable before him. When the Holy Spirit begins to come, He's going to expose the wickedness that we have taken as a normal part of American life. And we have participated in the darkness. And we're going to suddenly see as the coming of the Holy Spirit is there that we can no longer participate in these things of utter wickedness and darkness. I encourage you to read all of Acts. But I want to read for you now another story, a very short one from this wonderful man of God, G.C. Bevington, who in the early 1900s was ministering in Ohio, southern states. Yesterday I shared with you a full story, and if you have not heard that story, if you have not, if you didn't hear yesterday's broadcast, I urge you please go to nationalprayerchapel.com and and play the audio. There's no video. Just play the audio and listen carefully. Now I'm sharing this because I want you to see that in the past, men of God prophetic men of God would not play games with justice or righteousness, but they spoke very forcefully about these issues. And they called men and women to come and worship before Almighty God with sincerity, not casually drifting in, leaving your hat on as you enter into the sanctuary of God blows my mind what I see going on. Let me just read this. What I'm going to read you is a story for me of a, of a normal event in this man's life, but it was revival. And if you want revival, this is what it's going to look like. This and what I shared with you yesterday. going to begin reading from the book Remarkable Miracles, 
page 212. He begins, I was holding a meeting in Ohio in a very prominent church. I had preached four nights, and on the fifth night, I ate no supper and went somewhat early. I found the door locked. So I sat down on the steps and began reading the precious word. I got so interested I did not notice the time until a man stepped up and said, Isn't the door locked? I said, Yes. He looked at me rather seriously for about five minutes, and then he said, Did you not know that they locked you out? I said, No. Have they? Yes, they have. Do you live near here? I asked him. Yes, you were at home last Friday, but I was not at home. You prayed for my wife, and she's been well ever since. I said, are you a saved man? No, sir. And with that, off he went. I said, well, Lord, they were locked out, huh? Now, how about that meeting? You gave me this meeting. Where am I going to deliver it? Satan whispered to me, you can deliver that tomorrow night as they will let you back into the church then. Now, note that danger here. This sounded right, sounded good, sounded reasonable, and would have been accepted by many. It was then well after dark that I felt so deeply impressed with this certain message that I could not let go. So I said, Lord, it seems I must deliver that message somewhere. There was no one in sight to preach to, but that message kept revolving and enlarging. It continued to gather material at each revolution in spite of the absence of visible prospects. As I sat there, I saw a large oak tree threw its branches out over the road. While I was admiring its beauty, the voice said, that is the place. I looked around, but there was no one in sight, so I strolled up to the tree and got down on my face. Soon I heard something. Thinking it was only hogs eating acorns, I stayed on my face. I seemed to be held to that spot, unable to move, and that message was still developing. I knew I could not preach to hogs eating acorns. And then I began to weep and struggle as I saw the terrible condition of the people. I prayed. I cried. I wrestled until I heard moaning and groaning and crying and praying. I looked up. There were more than 70 people under that tree with me. About a third of them were praying quite earnestly. And they were praying the very message that had been burning on my heart. They all had the same message. I never had to deliver it. I just remained on my face, pleading with God to burn the message in on them all. The pastor's daughter was among them, desperately in earnest as she kept on weeping and praying. 
1.30 a.m. I got up and finished the message, the part they'd not reached as yet. After the firing had ceased and the smoke cleared away, there were 13 who'd been wounded in the spiritual skirmish so much that they seemed unable to get up and leave. Just before dawn, though none had gotten through, nearly 50 men, women, boys, and girls rose there on the ground under that tree. Finally, the pastor's daughter got gloriously free. She ran all over the space occupied by those people, shouting and laughing and crying, and within a short while, over a hundred people were under that tree. I was still on my face, weeping and groaning. Reminds me of the story of Azusa Street. I've read the messages that were delivered there. I have a copy of them. It seems the pastor spent most of his time with his head under the pulpit, weeping and crying and praying for the people. And as he wept and cried and prayed, the power of God fell upon them and they wept and cried and prayed until they got the victory and until their sickness was healed. He says many were knocked over by the power of God. Someone said that over 60 were praying all at one time. While the pastor's daughter was preaching, the pastor unfortunately missed the good feast. I was told his wife came down, and I remember how I dreaded her appearance. But she had no spirit of interference. She just began helping the rest, as did the daughter. The benediction was pronounced late that afternoon. The pastor himself showed up and announced there would be a meeting at the church that night, though he had ordered the church locked against me. Whether it makes any sense or not, it always pays to obey God. Is there going to be a revival in America? Yes, I believe there will be. I believe there will be the last proclamation spoken of in Matthew 24 and that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon this nation, not just upon this nation, but upon many nations. Do I believe that we need to go around and gather up the embers that were left from Azuzu Street or Catherine Kuhlman or some other event in history, no, I serve a risen God. I serve a God who is all-powerful. I serve a holy and just God. I serve a God who loves his people. And the most recent discipline was to have us vomited out of our church building and a mask put over our faces. I call it a diaper. It's horrific. Will we repent? Will we bind the power of the coronavirus and cast it out? Will we see our sin and begin to move in justice against ourselves? We don't need any more praise and worship. 
That's for after we've been sanctified, made holy. Right now, we need to be confronted with our sin. We need to be invited to come and be crucified with Jesus Christ. Now, that's going to take some time for, for most of us, most of you, because you have such a long history of being casual and self-centered and full of self, you're going to have to go step by step and unwind all of those wicked things that you've been involved in and get to the very bottom and put those into the hands of Jesus so that he can remove that from you and heal you of that disease. You're going to have to weep and cry and agonize before God. It's not going to be a job done with casualness or quickly. Now I've heard some people scorn those who who weep before God and say, you don't need to weep. Just, just say it, claim it, it's done. No, it's not. God is not going to be satisfied this time with a shallow work of grace. Grace is what teaches us to say no to ungodliness. This is not going to be a quick, pleasant experience with the coming of the Holy Spirit. It is going to be awesome. It is going to be terrifying. It is going to cause us to fall on our faces and agonize with weeping, sobbing words of repentance, sorrow of heart. It's going to mean that we are going to have to surrender everything in our lives into the hand of a holy and righteous God. We're not going to be able to continue our casual life of taking care of business for ourselves and filling our hearts with the wickedness of our culture and of our day. It's going to require something very different. Come out of her, my people, and be separate is what the word of God says. This is going to be a time of coming out and being separate. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose family. They're going to turn against you and say that you're a crank. They're going to say you're a fanatic. You've gone overboard. No, you haven't. You haven't even begun yet to reach that place of righteousness that Jesus is calling us to. before the Lord for you and for me because there's been a casualness in my spirit too and I'm saying Lord I can't live with that casualness anymore I can't live with I can't live with the wickedness of our culture and not confront it and not speak boldly and say stop Turn off your social media. Turn off the things of darkness. Cast out the wickedness of our day. It holds nothing for us except pain and anguish. It steals our peace. It steals our joy. It blocks us from the presence of God. 
in regard to sin because men do not believe in me, in regard, in regard to righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Please hear me clearly as I say this. This world is simple. We are in the last death throw of the devil. They will divide us. And they will be against Christians. And Christians will perish in his death throes. Persecution will come. But right now, the devil doesn't have much to persecute the church for because the church is the world. church has to repent and get right with God. I heard one man say, the church is prepared in America. It's ready to receive this great anointing of God. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further than the, from the truth. There is not a prepared people ready to meet the coming of the Holy Spirit. We will all have to come to terms with, with the Holy Spirit dealing with our hearts. That's why I come to you today and say, prepare to meet with God. This is not going to be an easy revival. It's going to be the revival of the ages. And God is going to sweep many into the kingdom of God. But he's going to sweep them in, in righteousness and in justice. Most will not accept the word of the living God. It will enrage them. What will happen in Europe? Will you harden your heart against the Holy Spirit and against the Lord? He's now pouring himself forth in America, calling for repentance, for righteousness, for justice. just about out of time. Let me pray with you. Lord, I come today and oh God, we've been so arrogant before you. We've been so hard-hearted. Lord, we have followed the ways of darkness. We've sought the entertainment of the world. We've eaten the delicacies from the devil's table. Lord, I come pleading today that you would bring such conviction of guilt upon our hearts that we would weep before you and get clean. Lord, please, look with mercy upon America. Pour out your Holy Spirit. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I'm going to bring the sermon message to a close. Thank you for listening to the broadcast today. I'd love to hear from you.
if you know that this message that we've heard today is the truth, will you support this broadcast? We need to go much further on the air and on the internet, but it takes financial resources. And so I've been on my face asking the Lord to provide a way to open the way through prayer. If you'd like to give to help this broadcast go on the air, would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or you can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Go to the upper right-hand corner. Thank you, Donna. Thank you, each one of you who has so generously given know that we need to come in accord with God. Will you do that? Will you get on your face before God and open your heart? Now unto him honestly, purely. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'm praying for you. I'm trying not to dox you.